Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason. But how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organisations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organisations and the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michrielon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do, or have had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing insights, stories and strategies to inspire you to let your uniqueness shine. I am delighted to be joined by Chris Lantham on Life Beyond the Numbers. Chris, you are so welcome. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You're very, very welcome. And I was just remarking before we hit record that it's really bright where Chris Mm. is. It's not so bright here today, but where are you, Chris? Where in the world are you? I am in Maine in northern New England. It is fall here and it is a quintessential fall, which means bright blue skies, beautiful sunlight and chilly, very cold. Chilly. (laughs) It's deceiving. (laughs) You're not quite at Thanksgiving yet because we're recording this right at the beginning of November, but it's that kind of lead into Thanksgiving for you, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Where, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's getting colder and you're getting ready to sit around and have fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful time of year here for sure. So, Chris, I just love your description of your career crisis. Chris, in one of her blogs on her website, said she had a corporate career existential crisis. What happened? (laughs) I know it sounds very dramatic, doesn't it? So my crisis, I have air quotes. My crisis was really, I think, something that was coming and building for many years. So there wasn't a big dramatic moment, as dramatic as that sounds. But what it was, was after years of being, quote unquote, successful at my work, I started, I got my MBA, I got a master's in accounting, I was doing financial work at MIT, I ran a business with my husband for a while. And I found that there was this internal voice, this internal restlessness that would come and go that would say, is this really where you want to be putting all your time? Like you're giving so much effort to your job and being successful and always having your eye on that next promotion, always focused on the accolades. And it felt good to do that. And that was my habit to do that. But there was a voice inside that was saying, there's you're meant for something else. And I didn't know or have any clarity around exactly what that looked like. 
And so I had to push it aside because without that certainty, I couldn't act on it. I got to a point in my forties, I had two kids at home and so much of my time and effort was going into my job. I was getting higher and higher in the organization and I needed to know that my time and effort was going towards something that felt really meaningful to me. And as long as it wasn't, I was just finding myself feeling more and more depleted. Wow. So even though the work was similar or probably even more interesting, maybe the higher up you went, Mm -hmm. it was taking more of your energy because it was going in the wrong direction. Yeah. It just felt like the work I was doing wasn't meaningful to me, (laughs) if that makes any sense. There was a part of me that wanted so much. I loved working with people. I loved my manager. She would do anything for me. I'm super supportive. I loved leading teams. And I realized that what my heart really wanted for people was for them to be fully seen and expressed at work. And that led me to a pivot right before my so-called crisis, where I moved from my financial operations position into director of employee experience because people's experience at work became so important to me. I was suffering and witnessing other people suffer, and I wanted to try to influence that in a positive way. And what I found was that organizationally, that's very difficult. I mean, there's a reason why even very well-meaning businesses are struggling with that. And that my heart was really in working with people one-on-one to specifically identify what it is that they were craving and how they might be able to create changes in their own life to be more aligned with what those inner desires were. What was meaningful to them. Exactly. Yeah. There's a few things in there because you said what your heart really wanted for people. And I found that really interesting expression because I think Mm -hmm. often with my heart, I think about what my heart wants for me as -hmm. well. And so did you, find out what your heart wanted for you. Yes. And I think that those two are very closely related. You know, I was feeling my own suffering and seeing it reflected back in the faces of the people that I was working with. And in a way, I felt like I had more control over their experience than my own and more responsibility, interestingly, because I was their manager or their colleague or the director of employee experience. So yes, it was both. There's something I guess, holding the question of what can we all do to make this a more engaging and meaningful experience? Wow. Mm. Gosh, I mean, it's such a simple question in a way. Yeah. (laughs) If every person got up every day and asked that going to work of themselves and those around them, Mm. wouldn't we work in a different way? It's kind of fascinating because... A director of employee experience, what is that? Mm, That role was really about designing the systems, I guess, in a way that 
put people first. So in the same way, a customer experience would be like, okay, so as a customer, how are we experiencing this product or this company? How are employees experiencing this product or this company? What programs are in place? What benefits are in place? How are people feeling? How can we make them happier, more seen, have more flexibility? Those kinds of things, looking at our policies and procedures. It was a new role at that time. We had a kind of traditional HR department and we went through an acquisition process where we actually were merged with two other organizations. And during that time, especially, it became clear that we wanted somebody who had their eye on how people were feeling. Amazing. And what did it change for that organization then having this role? Because you said you decided for yourself, you preferred (laughs) to go more one-on-one. So, and it was really hard to do. So is it impossible to please everyone all of the time? Is that what you were trying to do? (laughs) (laughs) So a couple of things. It was definitely a step in the right direction for the organization. They were already very people-centered, and I think it was a natural move for them to make that more explicit. And they went on to hire someone at the C-level as the chief people officer to take over that initiative. So I think to answer that question, it Mm. it was very positive, well-received, and successful. What I learned, and to get into a little bit of my personal challenges, I would say, is that From a young age, I learned to find safety in success. And the way that I was able to do that, my superpower is being able to kind of put my, put myself into other people's perspectives and then be who they need me to be. And that worked very well for me. I spent a lot of time internally asking the question, what do you need from me? And then doing a very good job of delivering on that. And it served me very well. Where it stopped serving me well is the higher I got up in organizations and the more people that were around me that I felt responsible for emotionally. (laughs) So here you start getting into where it's a highly dysfunctional coping mechanism in some ways. And yeah, the higher I got, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, the more people I was trying to accommodate or solve for or keep happy. And that psychic pressure, it became clear to me that that was not going to work for me on a long-term sustainable basis. So then you become director of employee experience and you have the whole organization's happiness on your plate. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to, I had to make this top level decisions that were not always popular. And because of my superpower of really getting to know people and seeing them and understanding how they think and how they operate and how they relate to things, I could anticipate who and how would, or how and who people would be impacted or upset or disturbed. So anytime a decision was made, I was like, okay, well, it's going to work here, but it's going to cause problems here. And That was a great talent to have in that role. On the one hand, just for me, it ended up becoming kind of an emotional overload where it just, it highlighted for me, again, paired with this internal uprising, this restlessness that I was in the wrong place for me. I love that phrase, internal uprising. That really sounds so dramatic in a way, but also like something that's just bubbling up, waiting for you to listen. And then 
mm-hmm. <laughs> when it did. So the next thing then I read on your blog is you can live your life on your terms. Start by knowing what you want. And you've said that there was this internal uprising. You wanted meaningful work, but you didn't know what that was. So right. how did you figure out what you mm. wanted? Mm. That is still a work in process, of course. I'm delighted to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Only in looking back do I see that I did have, and I hear this around me too all the time, this like, I'm ready to live life on my terms. I'm ready to do my own thing. And that was part of that uprising was this sense of like, I'm tired of other people setting my priorities. I'm tired of the strategic plan rolling down to the each department and lining up my goals. By the time it gets down to me, this what feels like completely meaningless work and going to meetings and just talking about stuff that doesn't have any impact. And, and I want to do it differently. I want to have more agency. I want to be able to set my own priorities. I want to spend time doing what it is that I want to do. I want to have time to figure out exactly what that is. And when it came down to it, once the opportunity was there, and I've heard, I think it was Sue Monk Kid who talks about crisis as separation and opportunity. The opportunity was there. I did have a moment where I realized that I hadn't really stopped to figure out what it is that I want, that I could talk about what I didn't want. But I hadn't figured that out, which made a lot of sense based on my habit of looking for external validation and defining myself based on what I thought other people wanted from me. Yeah, and you've, that's the second time you've mentioned that habit. So I'm going to go back to that habit for a minute, because where <laughs> did that habit come from, Chris? You said it was like getting accolades and promotions and so on. So it's like, is that from gold stars in school kind of thing? Is it go back that far? Oh, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it really does go back that far. I received praise from a very young age, from a very loving place um, that I was really smart. And I was going to go places and do things. And I did, you know, I played that out as soon as I got into school and I did get the A's and the gold stars. And I did collect all of the uh, activities and accomplishments and editor of the school paper and president of the senior class. And like, I just started collecting these gold stars so I could get into university and just continue on and on and on from there. And so I didn't spend time looking through the lens of what is it that I want. I didn't have to because I was feeling so loved and safe doing what was expected. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of profound, isn't it? In one way, everything was perfect. Mm -hmm. You were doing what was expected. You were building this amazing career. Yeah. But you'd never thought about what it is you wanted. And I suppose I wondered as you were talking, did you meet other people like you? So you were in quite a privileged position in an organization with people coming to you with what was going on in their lives. And did, did this come at you as well from others? I do think that it is a common theme. I wouldn't go so far to say it's universal, but I think the putting on of a mask or a persona 
from a young age and not even necessarily realizing it's there until you're much older and you start feeling that uprising and that pain and, and that disconnect, certainly I saw people who were realizing that was happening and also people that I think that were suffering existentially and maybe not identifying quite what was going on yet that might have been suffering from a similar situation or perspective, I guess. And so if there are people listening to this conversation now, what would someone do who's relating to what you're saying? What did you do next, for example? Mm. Because I know you, you didn't, you knew what you didn't want. So obviously at some stage you've started to work towards what it is you do want. Yes. So I would say to put it in order, what happened for me and I've seen happen for other people is that what my fixation became was getting out of the organization, getting out of corporate work, because this wasn't just this time. Like I said, this is a repeat occurrence where I would get the job. And then two years in, I'm like, no, this isn't right. I'm bored. I would get another job two years in. This isn't quite right. And I would be beating myself up because I felt like maybe I was broken or something wasn't working. And I do want to preface this by saying I am very grateful to be lucky enough and privileged enough to be able to be having this conversation and to do what I did and to be able to have the option of leaving a job. I know a lot of people don't have that. So I I keep that very front of, front of mind as I speak about this. Um, but I was lucky enough to be able to consider leaving my traditional nine to five job to start my own business. And I had been getting my coaching certification because I had been realizing I had this desire to work with people one-on-one and it really fit in with the HR work I was doing. Um, And I hired a coach as well. And I became very fixated on leaving the corporate job to start my own business. And that was going to solve all my problems (laughs) because I was going to have personal agency. I was going to be in control of my time. I was going to be able to focus on what I wanted to focus on. I was entering an area where I was going to be able to use what I felt were my natural skills. And all I had to do was muster the courage to make that leap. That is an important piece of work and it can take a long time. It does take a lot of courage. It takes an ability to walk into something where you don't know what's going to be on the other side. And it was all those things. And what I quickly learned though, and this is more to answer your question, I think, is that once I got on the other side, I was still me and I still wanted somebody to tell me what to do. And I still looked around and tried to find someone to model myself after. I still had, even leaving my job, I had made what I referred to as an unholy pact with myself. You can do this as long as in short order, you replace your income doing this next thing. This is how this is going to go. This is how we're going to make this okay and not disrupt the world around us because that's not okay. (laughs) Not being successful is not okay. Still not okay. And I felt 
that distortion quickly creeping back in, even though now it was just me in front of a computer screen trying to figure out what was next. And that's where I started to realize I didn't know what I wanted, that I didn't have access to that. Wow. I can relate to so much of what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> My mind is a bit like, whoa, slow down. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely there is there's faced with yourself. I think that <sighs> what I often felt was I'm actually now I'm faced with myself and there is nowhere to go. So there's no one I can help solve a problem with, and there's nothing to get stuck into, get my sleeves rolled up and and done for someone else. This is all on me and me alone and not necessarily alone. I think that's the other thing, but I suppose you had to get, I had to get to a point where I was able to ask for help because mm-hmm. I didn't oh, know what I was doing. <laughs> absolutely. And what you also lose is the ability to blame the situation, <laughs> right? And you hear the talk now still, and a lot of it's true. Like there's toxic work environments and people aren't being seen and heard and treated like human beings. And all of that is true to certain extents in certain places. But when that's gone, it's not the end all be all. It wasn't for me. Like that wasn't the whole picture. And the picture was that I had a lot of work to do and deconditioning and being very intentional about not carrying the old habits and the distortions with me into this new life. Because what I saw is that on the trajectory that I was on in two years, I was going to be exactly where I was when I left my corporate job that same discomfort, that same restlessness, because I would have adopted somebody else's rule book and found success defined by somebody else and all in honor of being able to say, hey, look at me, I did it. I was successful once again. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's one of those words, isn't it? That when you say successful, it's almost like this shortcut in your brain goes to big house, fancy car, overseas holidays, whatever. And mm-hmm. have you, I mean, I'm sure at this stage, well, I can't say I'm sure I don't know you that well, but <laughs> have you come up with a new definition of success? Hmm. That's a wonderful question. Success for me now is trusting myself and being patient enough to see what emerges rather than rushing to create some version of success that makes sense to other people. That's beautiful. Mm. It's difficult. Yeah. 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 Because... I'm not sure we're always taught how to trust ourselves. And you can't see me. Well, Chris can see me, but you can't see me. My eyes have welled up Mm -hmm. with that because I think there is a huge 
which voice do you trust? Mm. How do you know which is the right voice in there? Which one has your back? And mm. and it takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. And but it it also feels. I mean, I, I'm speaking here rather than asking you. But it kind of feels like peeling off these layers, and eventually, eventually, it all starts to come together. And then you go, oh yeah, okay, and. I think about success for me. I mean, for a long time, I couldn't even use the word. You know, I was just like, I don't want to face that word. I just, you know, eh. and now success for me is doing things my way on my mm-hmm. terms and finding joy in what I do. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the replacing the income, Chris. Mm. <laughs> and is that something you've done? No, I have not. <laughs> Yeah, it, it doesn't feel it, it doesn't feel I mean I guess the good news I don't question mark I guess the good news is it doesn't feel as important to me because I think I have been successful in disconnecting from some of those metrics and it's taken a long time and I think what I've learned is that undoing that conditioning and peeling away those layers as you describe them has required a great deal of patience and persistent. I have a vision board right now and right in the middle is in big letters is keep showing up. And that's no matter how uncomfortable or vulnerable or not successful I feel on any given day to just know that this work is important enough to keep showing up for it. And that has been, the, the patience has been difficult, but the showing up has been easy. And I think that that's a sign that I'm on the right track. Yeah, that's so cool. And it's funny because I have patience and perseverance. Mm, <laughs> so, right? Yeah. <laughs> that may be a better word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. But it's so interesting how we kind of come at things. I think we often think that we're alone in this. But actually, when when we're having this conversation here, so much is resonating, whether it's the same story or not the feelings or the universality of it, even the words are almost related. And you talked about as well about wanting somebody to tell you what to do. This year, I chose the word permission Mm -hmm. as my word for the year because I realized I didn't need someone else's permission. Not that I ever looked for it when I was in a job. Right. (laughs) But suddenly when I wasn't, it was like, well, who's going to let me do this, you know? Mm -hmm. And... It's this conditioning that you talk about. And I think there's a lot of unlearning to actually get through working for yourself. Some people just seem to take it like a duck to water and that's fantastic, good for them. I'm I'm in awe. But for me, I have had to unlearn a lot of things that I probably spent a lot of my life learning. Yes, that has been my experience as well. And I don't think it's everyone's experience. But that's the beauty of what's unfolding for me is really this deep understanding that the path is different for everyone. And as we follow our paths, the most important part, just making sure that it's our path that we're following. It's so true, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. It is finding your path. And, mm-hmm. and, and there may be a few diversions and little by roads and whatever, but finding a way to bring yourself back to that path 
and the paths for now, because the paths can change. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Letting it really unfold, really letting go to sitting in uncertainty, Yeah. not trying to force an understanding of what the path is when it's not emerging naturally and letting that not knowing be okay long enough to let the real resonant path emerge. So hard. So hard. And also, I suppose I just think we never know what's going to happen next in any given moment. We don't know. (laughs) We think we do because we make plans and all of that. But, you know, as simple as this, Zoom could just shut down now. (laughs) We'd be out in our ears and whatever and trying to figure out a way back. But what is it about certainty that is so attractive? It's that sense that we are in control. You're so right. But that sense that I am in control and I'm safe because I think I can predict what's coming next, which to your point is not real. And so what's the fear of the uncertainty then? Because in a way, we're still in control of our thoughts and there's still an element of control of all of that. I struggle a little bit thinking now, what was I afraid of if I was afraid of uncertainty? What is uncertainty? (laughs) Because everything is. And if you think of in a workplace, if I'm in a role where I want things to be done, like accountancy, for example, and you know that, where you want things to be done in a certain way and it's going to give you the answer as a result because it's a formula or whatever. But I can't apply that to working with Chris or working with Susan because we're not made up like that. And there's always going to be uncertainty then around the level of performance or the question I might get asked or whether somebody shows up or not for work or when they might leave. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So for me, what comes up when you ask that is that's where following your own path becomes such a big act of courage because I have this need for approval and this kind of external validation of my own okayness and safety I'm safe and I have certainty if I'm on a known path, if I'm in a company with the job title that when I say it out loud, people are like, well, that sounds reasonable and like a normal thing to do. You're okay. If I leave my job and start my own business and follow a formula of someone who's been very successful and I let everyone know, oh, it's, it's okay. I'm safe because I'm following the formula of someone who's very successful. Then I'm safe. Even, even if something goes wrong, I did the responsible thing. I did my very best in in avoiding any kind of mishaps. If I say, oh, wait, hold up. I'm going to try this my way. I'm going to listen to my intuition. I'm going to trust myself. I'm going to experiment. I'm going to iterate until I feel my way down this new path. And if that fails, then no wonder you wandered off the path. It's all your fault. And so I think that's where that comes in for me. The is, well-trodden path. Is, yeah. it's, it's 
ultimate personal responsibility. It's I am taking responsibility for my own destiny and I'm embracing all of the uncertainty that comes with that. And it it takes a, a leap of faith and some courage to go there. It does. And yeah, I suppose where I feel now is like I can't imagine doing anything else <laughs> either at this point. And some days I'm like, oh my God, I'm just gonna go and get a job. It'll just be so much easier. <laughs> and now as I say this, Chris is frozen. I think I may have cursed Zoom. Uh, I'm just going to wait and see if she returns to the Zoom room. So we had a little interruption to our broadcast. <laughs> Zoom was obviously listening and managed to kick us out. Well, kicked Chris out. And yeah. I'm so relieved that she returned. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a little miracle because I'm still not sure what happened, but I had no internet for a few minutes there. But yeah, so we were talking about getting a day job, Chris. Yes, yes. And you were saying, yeah, that it, we have those moments. I definitely can relate. I have those moments where it's like, forget this. I'm just going to go back and get a day job because it was so easy. And then I have to remind myself, like, what does easy mean? And because there's nothing about being in a job and that eventually led me to having what I now label a crisis. And having this sense of energetic depletion and being in the wrong place and not having meaning in my life. That, that is not easy. The only easy part is that you get a paycheck for that. <laughs> and that starts to feel like, wow, that was an easy way to make a living easier than this. Yeah. Well, it was, it meant that you brought in more money than you do now. That's what it meant, really. Yeah. And but you lost part of yeah. yourself to that. Yeah. So you traded yourself, you sold yourself effectively mm -hmm. for a paycheck mm -hmm. and spent most of your life running around because you never had time to do anything. No. And it really that's just not what I want. What I was giving up was too much. It was too much of a sacrifice. And I that thought of going back comes less and less frequently for me now. Yeah. Um, it's it's and it doesn't come from my best self it comes from my frustrated self it comes from my scared self it comes from uh, just me when I'm having a rough day yeah it comes say. from that scarcity mindset mm -hmm. as well yeah. doesn't it um mm -hmm. and but I also think if everything was plain sailing then you wouldn't realize how fortunate you are either <laughs> so in yeah. a way to have those reminders every now and then it it helps me to realize how fortunate and how privileged that was the words you used earlier. Yeah. I am to be able to do this. And, oh, yeah. you know, maybe another day I will go and get a, another job. Who knows? But for mm -hmm. now, I'm on this path. Yeah. And enjoying the path and enjoying the process of it. That has yeah. been a real learning for me because yeah. when I allow myself to, I really, really enjoy this process of not knowing and letting things unfold and really learning what it is that does feel in alignment for me and focusing my time there and having that privilege to be able to focus my time there is just I can really access gratitude for that and um, the other thing is having time to write or explore creativity perhaps as well and Chris and I met on a ship 30 for 30 twitter challenge mm -hmm. 
which seems like an age ago now. But one of the atomic essays you wrote there, one of the many, was about fear setting. Mm, yes. And I'd love to hear a little bit about fear setting, if you can yeah, remember I think, that one. Yeah, I think that kind of ties in well with what we're talking about right now, because when you have a big, bold idea, like leaving your job to start your own thing, it's really easy to focus on the cost of doing that the cost of making a decision, no matter how fulfilling it may be on the other side. It's just like, I'm going to lose my insurance. I'm going to lose my paycheck. What if I am terrible at this? What if it doesn't work? What are people going to think? What if I'm not good at it and people judge me? Like all those fears that come up. And the way I ended up stumbling upon fear setting was I was doing the ship 30 work and I just had this one day where I forget the first instance, I think I was just going down some rabbit hole on the internet and I ended up stumbling across an article from Tim Ferriss in 2017, many years ago, not fresh, that was about this concept of fear setting. And I kind of skimmed it and I was like, oh, yep, that's a thing. And then I was in my living room later that day and my husband was there and he was listening to a TED talk and I could hear in the background that it was Tim Ferriss. (laughs) talking about fear setting, a TED talk he did in like 2017, 18, way back then. And I'd written another The Ship 30 post on Twitter. And one of the fellow shippers commented on that post. And this is 24 hours, maybe 48, but very short period of time. One of the commenters said, have you ever read Tim Ferriss's blog post on fear setting? (laughs) I was like, okay, I get it. (laughs) Heard. And so I dove into that and really what the the fear setting concept is, and I think it's simple and ingenious, like so many things, is to really just get those fears rather than just saying, my goal is to quit my job by July 31st and start my own business and make X amount of money in X amount of months and let the fears kind of in the background say like, yeah, good luck with that. You're going to end up like really, really poor and really sad. Um, to just to state the fears themselves out and look at them and say, well, what is the cost of me not doing the thing because of this fear? What is the worst case scenario? And can I handle that? What will I miss out by not doing the thing because of this fear? And I think really what it comes down to is that once you give those fears oxygen and look at them in the light of day, they really dissipate. And I think that that's really the the main kind of thrust of that work. It reminds me of the emperor's new clothes. Like there yeah. isn't really anything there once you yeah. lift the curtain. Yeah, exactly. And you'll notice too, one way I've learned to discern between my inner intuition, which will sometimes say, this is a bad idea, don't do it. And an inner critic who also will say, this is a bad idea, don't do it, is that my inner critic is very repetitive. They don't really have a lot to add to the conversation. It's kind of just like, but you're not going to have insurance, but you're not going to have insurance. What are you going to do about insurance? (laughs) And also the message from the inner critic is always don't change. Stay here. (laughs) It's always keeping you in place. So if your intuition is like, well, maybe not that way but perhaps this way, that's a differentiation, but the inner critic is, oh, it's the same story. And so I've learned to kind of say, yep, I get it. I hear you for the thousandth time. Thank you for your concern. 
<laughs> it's like being in a meeting when somebody's saying the same bloody thing over and over again. You know, it's like I will have to figure out the insurance situation. <laughs> right. I don't know if I need to base my entire life on that one question, but in though it is a very important question, and again, I'm very lucky to have other sources for that protection. The other thing that I want to touch on a little bit because I think it was so key to my success in transitioning in the way that I have to a place where I'm more in the driver's seat of my life and my work. And that's just very important to me to be in that position. And that was that I surrounded myself during that very vulnerable time with other people who were in similar situations who could hold my vision with me and reflect the truth of me back to myself, where I could try on this new identity, this new role. And they understood how hard it was to be in that spot, but also how exciting and inspiring. And it's so much easier to support somebody else who you can like see all their beauty and talent and root for them and know that they're going to be successful. It's so much easier to do that for someone else than for yourself. So to be in a group, I was in a lucky enough to be invited into a mastermind of people that were on a similar path. It made all the difference because it just felt more real. And the more times you can show up as this new version of yourself and have people receive you in that new way, the more it becomes a stable identity, I guess. I can relate to that as well. And I think what I would add to that almost is because you're also giving encouragement to mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. It's almost like you're speaking to yourself at the same time. And it, the message starts to infiltrate. Well, if I keep telling them they can do this, then I must believe I can do this too. That's such a great point. That is true because it's like, am I lying when I say I believe in them and that, that this is a, a fruitful path and that I, I know they're going to be successful? If that's true, then at, at some level, it has to be true for me as well. I think that's an excellent point. So what is it that you do, Chris, now? Like what is, mm, yeah, right. what's what your place these days? I've been vague up to this point. So, I mean, very aligned with the conversation that we've been having. I am a coach and I'm also a business consultant bringing the skills with me that I had in my previous life. And I work with people to start their own businesses, grow their own businesses and find the way that works for them. I mean, that's still where my passion is. It's definitely the work that I've done for myself and continues to do. And there's nothing that I enjoy more than holding space for other people to explore what it is that's going to work for them and to share my experience and my business expertise to help them make it happen. Cool. And if somebody would like to connect with you, my website is chrislantome.com. And that's the best way you can schedule a consult call there. And I love talking to you. It's no strings attached anytime. Just you can set up a, a discovery call there and we can chat. And also there's a place there for you to sign up on my newsletter. 
Cool. So, and you can follow Chris on Twitter. <laughs> and on Twitter at Clantome. Pretty much K Lantome is my username pretty much everywhere. That's where you can find me. Cool. That's great. And I'll put all of those details in the show notes. Excellent. Chris, it's been fantastic. I could feel like I could talk to you for longer, but we've already <laughs> overrun over time. But we did have a little blip in the middle, which was yeah, sorry about that. Such a great no, it was such a great <laughs> illustration of how we're not in control. <laughs> <laughs> tempted fate with that one <laughs> synchronicity i think that was and yeah who knows maybe we'll speak again in the future i hope so yeah cool thank, thank you, you so Chris. much all right bye thank you so much for listening i hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode if something rang through for you be sure to let me know or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.